crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Back in 2006, Julie Zhu started as Facebook's very first intern. She was working on the engineering team and had no background in design. But 11 years later, she's Facebook's VP of product design, which makes her one of the most influential voices on the subject today. We'll talk about how she got to where she is today, built her world-class team, and developed A Year of the Looking Glass, a project that's really close to her heart. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. Julie, you and I have something in common. We actually both very recently got back from parental leave uh, at our respective jobs. I'm curious um, how it's going for you being back at work. So this is uh, my second time coming back. So I just had my second child, and he's a boy. He's almost six months now. I can't oh even believe gosh. how quickly time passes. Uh, so coming back this time around was quite different than the first time. The first time around, to be really frank, was very hard for me. I think coming back into my role and feeling like I had you know, sort of become this new person and that my identity had changed was a, a real struggle. I struggled to sort of, I think, both see myself as a mother, as a working mother. I struggled as well with just balancing what I needed to do in my job with you know, wanting to, to take care of my baby. And I, that was a pretty challenging transition, I would say, for about six months or so ago. But I felt like I learned really a lot about myself during that period of time. And uh, you know, I think with my second, you know, I, I kind of came in a little bit more prepared, having gone through the experience before. And so I knew that it would be hard. And I think even the expectation of it, the preparation that I did to, to try and make it a little bit easier for myself um, coming back made a difference. And you know, part of it too is it's, it's less new for me. It's less of a different kind of life change. So coming back this time around, it has, it's sort of been night and day. Like I have been so excited to be back. I have, you know, felt extremely energized by the problems. I've sort of felt like I've had a much better handle on how I wanted to show up in the office and how I wanted to, to show up at home. Um, and so I, I'm really glad to say that it, it's, it's been really a lot easier. It's interesting because you made the decision to kind of write about that experience on Medium both times, actually, the when you left for your, your the birth of your first child and then also more recently back in November. What kind of responses have you gotten to those posts? The responses have been really, really supportive, really, uh, you know, sweet, I think. I think the reason why I wanted to write about that is, especially the first time around, you know, I felt like I was going through these things alone. And it sounds so silly because, of course, you know, I'm, I'm not alone in, in that feeling. But, but when you're kind of experience it day in and day out and you look around, you're just sort of like, wow, everyone else has it figured out, you know, and there's lots of women who are working. And, you know, I know uh, many of them and I see them and they seem like they aren't struggling at all. And, and it was that feeling of being like, 
Well, after I got through it, and after I sort of was reflecting on my experience,、uh, I thought about maybe other women who would go through that, and maybe they wouldn't know that this is something that many women struggle with, and that's why I chose to write about it. And it was scary. It was sort of this moment of being a little bit more vulnerable to the world. But the response I got, you know, just everyone came on the woodwork, and, and so many women said to me, "I know how you feel. I went through that. I'm I'm so glad that you know it's something that you're talking about." We really do need to talk about this a little bit more, not just for us, but so our colleagues and the people that we work with、uh, know what it's like, and they can help us、um, because everybody, you know, wants to uh, uh, make it easier for us, and and we want to do the same for for the people that we work with. Yeah, I think the thing that sort of sneaks up on you is that it really does feel like a total reinvention of of who you are and of、mm-hmm. your identity.、Mm-hmm. Um, What's interesting to me about you, though, is that this is actually isn't the first time that you've reinvented yourself. You started. You're you're very well known now to be a designer. You didn't start off in design, though. I've heard that you kind of didn't have a design background before you joined Facebook back in 2006. How did you reinvent yourself as a designer? How did you end up in the design world? Yeah. So growing up, you know, I honestly didn't know that design was a profession. In middle school and high school, one of my hobbies, once I discovered the internet, was actually doing digital illustration. My friend and I, you know, we discovered Photoshop and we got, you know, our Wacom tablets, and、uh, <laughs> we were just obsessed with drawing and then, you know, sort of making these really rich visual illustrations. And then we thought, well. We want to kind of put them up for the world to see, and that is what got us into developing our own websites.、Um, and and the website itself and the design of it was always, you know, as a, a canvas for displaying our illustrations. But that's kind of how I got into kind of the tools、uh, that designers use. So I was very familiar with Photoshop. I had written, you know, HTML and CSS、um, all through high school and college. But again, I didn't know that this was called design. It was just this hobby、uh, of mine. And so, when I went to college, you know, I was like, okay, well, I have to study something that's like a like a, what, you know, a real profession. I, to be honest, I didn't know that much about <laughs> the different professions out in the world. I, but I do did know about engineering, and I did know that you know if you study computer science, then you could go and do things like build websites in the future. And so that's what I chose to study. And you know, I, I loved computer science because. I did love the process of building and coding and and all of that stuff, and so I always thought I would get an engineering job out of school, and that's what I would do. And so I interviewed at Facebook.、Uh, I was actually Facebook's first intern, and I interviewed for an engineering position. I showed up on my first day, and、uh, and you know they were like, "Hey, we have a mentor for you. You know, she's an engineer, and she's going to sort of." Be、uh, you know the person to to ramp you up,、um, and she's a great friend of mine now.、Uh, her name's Ruchi, and and Ruchi said to me, actually, I'm going to go in and explore this other role called PM. So I'm not really going to be the best person to be your mentor, but why don't I take you to this、uh, group of people sitting over here? These are the people who work on a design team. They do a lot of our front end coding. You said that you were interested in the front end coding, so you know just grab a desk and 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 just you know sit over here, and so that's. 
in a lot of ways, like how I first became introduced to the concept of design, designers. I did say that I wanted to, you know, work on more of the the front end parts of the website, the, the part that people saw, because that's right. kind of the experience that I had, you know, building my own websites. But I learned so much from that group of early designers at Facebook. I learned about typography and interaction and, uh, and just went a lot deeper with them. And I also learned about just importance of focusing on people. And that's basically what design really ultimately is about. You you care about, you know, the people and you think about what is the experience that they're having when they're using, you know, the product that you built and how do they feel and what do they want. I've just loved it and I felt very uh, lucky and privileged to be able to grow in design and uh, and to have it be, you know, the thing that I think about and do every day. Take me back to that first day where you're introduced to this Motley crew of, of designers and engineers. What was your first impression? What sort of stood out to you about them and their approach? I think uh, one of the things that uh, I, th- I think was very unique to me, you know, coming into Facebook and, and starting to, to dive into some of the products that everybody was building and the problems that we're thinking about is that, you know, we were thinking even then about ourselves as as kind of like a a platform as kind of a container for people to interact. And this was very different than the way that, you know, I had even approached designing my own websites, right? Because when I was making my own website and I was putting my art on it, the website was a reflection of me, my personality, you know, what I wanted to say, how I wanted to express myself to the world. But when we were designing Facebook, you know, it wasn't about Facebook. I mean, it wasn't about like, you know, us say anything. It was about making it a great place for other people to come and and say the things that they wanted to say and connect with the people who were important in their lives and to have a voice and, and talk about whatever it is that they wanted to talk about under the sun. And that was a very different approach to design. I think about it like designing a house, you know, versus designing like a Kleenex yeah. box or something, right? When you're designing a building or a house or, you know, you... You're, you're trying to make intentional decisions that make it easier for people to interact and do the kinds of things that you want them, you know, you think that you should make it easy for them to do, but you can't actually tell people exactly what they should do inside the building. And so it was a little bit more of this more ground layer of design, more about kind of the building blocks, more about creating the environment that would let the kind of social connection and interaction happen. Um, and, you know, that was one of the first things that I learned, you know, arriving at Facebook and and learning from th- this wonderful group of designers. Um, and, and for us, it was, you know, every time we designed something, we looked at you know, a screenshot, we looked at, um, you know, a mock, we would always ask ourselves, is this going to make it conducive for many types of people to talk about many different things and have, you know, many types of uh, interactions? And that, so that strikes me as totally abstract, as opposed to, you know, designing a website, which has a very concrete purpose, you know, exactly what you need, what job there is to be done there. When you're building a container, when you're building a house, as you say, you don't really know how people are going to use it. You you sort of have to pay attention to the behavior as you're building it and, you know, iterate on that design over time. You know, did that stand out to you at all as as being a very different type of design or different path for you to go down? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and but it was also something that, you know, I mean, we could spend hours kind of geeking out about and talking about. You know, we used to say that when people came to Facebook, we wanted them to not see Facebook. You know, we didn't want them to kind of see all of the flourishes and the, you know, the right. our brand. We wanted them to see their friends. So when you loaded the page, the overwhelming feeling we wanted to people to have what that was that it was a familiar space because all of the faces that they were seeing all of the images you know were of people they knew and all of the names and all of the you know most of the words on the screen were the things that their friends were saying right not things that we you know the company your was job saying. was to get out of the way yes exactly and so so that's how we've we kind of really approached designing this social platform and it's a lot of what you know we've thought about as we've continued to develop products, you know, one of the things that Mark most recently talked about uh, last week, you know, he wrote a, a long letter to our community talking about how he saw the future of what it is that we want to do at Facebook and the kinds of tools we wanted to build. And it was really grounded in the idea that we want to build things that allow people to take these connections and to provide support to each other, to, you know, create these online communities to talk with each other about hobbies right. and things that they are, uh, you know, really passionate about, to go and organize, you know, events or movements or protests or whatever it is. And, and you know, uh, we just want to make sure that we can build a tool that, that lets people do these things, do them easily and feel empowered to do these things. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of technologist Clay Shirky has that great line around you know, technology doesn't ever get really interesting until it becomes almost invisible. Mm -hmm. And the way you talk about design makes me think of that, that this idea that the design is supposed to shrink away into the background and just leave the interactions. Um, so I want to talk about some of the more meaningful milestones that you remember, because I imagine that this has been a learning process when you're trying to build around people and the way they act. What stands out to you as some of the bigger milestones um, when you first started developing and building the product design team at Facebook? You know, one big one for me was, you know, the launch of uh, Newsfeed. And that happened yes. pretty early after I joined, um, just a couple of months in the late summer, um, I think early fall. And I think that that one was a really interesting and important lesson for us because up until that point, you know, we had been developing products with the assumption that like, hey, our intuition is really good. You know, we can come up with something and then we'll put it out and then our user base will love it. And that, you know, and it's because we had done that and we had seen that, you know, happen when we built Facebook to begin with. And then when we, when we launched our photos feature and when we launched the wall and a way for people to kind of interact on, on people's profiles, like, you know, every single thing that we had launched, people had loved. And right. it was just sort of instantly successful. And when we launched news feed, uh, you know, the reaction was definitely not that. Um, people were really, really uh, upset about it. They didn't like it. They, there was this group that had formed uh, called People Who Hate Facebook Newsfeed. And 10%, no, I, I'm not. And 10% of Facebook's audience, one out of 10 people who, who were on Facebook at the time, 
joined that group. Um, and, and, you know, we had protesters and, and other people outside of our office, and we were not a very big company, you know. This was the first time that actually major newspaper outlets wrote about us because, there, and it was more of this kind of funny story. We're like, haha, there's this college site, you know, Facebook, um, which college students love, but like, could you believe that like they launched this thing and like, you know, everyone hates it? <laughs> the outrage was real. Exactly. Um, so let me let me stop you there for a second because that's fascinating to me. Do you remember that day in the office? Can you tell me like what was the conversation that you had? First of all, how many people were on the design team at that point, and what was that first meeting after you started to see the tide turn on that release? <laughs> yeah, uh, the, our design team was about six people um, or so at the time, uh, six or seven designers, and. It was the first time where, you know, we were like, wait, I don't understand. Why don't people love it? We love it. We think it's a great idea. You know, the thing it taught us was to actually like dive in a little bit more and to really try and understand what are we hearing? You know, what's what's off about our assumptions? You know, we ended up actually, you know, reading all of the things that, that people were saying. We ended up, you know, trying to really like dive into like, well, what exactly about newsfeed is... Uh, upsetting people and we learned that it was around inciting the wrath yeah and we learned a lot of it was around privacy and and people wanting to feel like they were in control and we had actually built some tools but we you know needed to to kind of build more and give people a greater sense of control over what things were being published and what things weren't so that was something that we actually turned around really quickly like as soon as we learned that we responded and we built greater controls and greater settings but uh, we also tried to understand well is it all, is it a reaction because this is a change or is there something fundamental um, about it? And the other thing that we learned is that, uh, you know, there was, there was value in newsfeed. Like we, we saw these glimmers of when it was really powerful and it was something that, you know, was useful for people. And, and uh, funnily enough, one of the reasons why people even knew that there was a group called I hate Facebook newsfeed is because they saw it in their newsfeed and they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have known about it. They wouldn't have discovered it um, without, without newsfeed, right? And, oh, that's so funny. Yeah. And we saw that, you know, there were people who, who, were, who were made more aware of things that their friends were doing and that, you know, helped foster greater conversation and connection. So we were also seeing, you know, like there were great positive and powerful effects of newsfeed. So it wasn't like it was all bad. Um, and we, we wanted to kind of dive into and understand where it was working as well as where it, it wasn't working. And see, I think, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think that takes discipline, right? Because I think a knee-jerk reaction to that kind of immense feedback, and it sounds like you guys got immense feedback, would be, okay, let's yank it out. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's let's just stop the yelling, stop the hate groups, let's just yank it out. Yep. And I think it it sounds like it took a lot of discipline to be able to look at it, you know, and be introspective and and figure out, okay, but what is it about it that's that's not working and how can we cut away the parts that don't work and figure out how to save the parts that do. And it's impressive that you did it because the newsfeed is now such a massive cornerstone of the Facebook experience. And if you had just yanked it back then, mm-hmm. I don't know uh, what what the experience would be today. Yeah. So that's impressive. Yeah. And I think that that is, that's something that, uh, that really taught us like, okay, we really, 
like what's important is listening to people. What's important is, like you said, you know, getting to kind of the core of you know when a product is out there or, or when we're testing a product. And we still think about this all the time today. You know, with everything that we build, we want to make sure we understand where it's working and where it's not working. So we invest a ton in user research. We've learned, you know, in, in the years since that when we are thinking about a, a major product change, that it's something that we have to really approach carefully because we know that change is very dis is disruptive to people. Um, the way that I think about it is, you know, if, if I have a thing that I'm used to, like I have my desk set up in a particular manner, you know, I've got my water bottle here, I've got like, you know, my like stack of mail and right. you know, my notepad, like in a certain way. And, you know, someone one day comes in and they rearrange it and they're like, okay, but I made it so much better. It's much more efficient, you know, and, and now you don't have to reach as far to get your water bottle and, and this and that. Like, I'd probably still be angry, you know, like I understand that it could be theoretically a more efficient, a better change, but it's still disruptive because it, you know, I, I had a habit, right? I, I had a familiarity. Right. And when you go and you actually, you, you say, hey, no, it's different today. Like it, there's gotta be a great reason for it. I have to kind of be bought into it. You know, I have to kind of maybe expect that it'll happen or understand um, at a deep level why it's better for me. Because if I if I just have a reaction, you know, and it's like, wait, where is everything? It's what happened? Over. Yeah, it's, it's not gonna be a, you know, it's not gonna feel good. Um, That's a really interesting point because not only are you building for individuals, you're building for entities, mm -hmm. businesses, and groups. And you know, uh, obviously, it's a it's a very it's been a very political climate, um, and protests, as you say, are being organized on um, Facebook. How do you design a product that speaks both to the individual, but also makes a home for for groups? Yeah, I think it. I do think when we start, you know, designing or we th start thinking about something, like I think individuals have to understand um, why it's why it's valuable for them like what does it do for them why you know why how does it fit into their lives what does it help make easier for them you know and then from there we think about okay well then you know what is the interaction that this person will have with this other person or with kind of a larger group or or with the business I think it always goes back to uh, first knowing the individual uh, that you're designing for Got it. Uh, looking back, is there a product or a project within Facebook that you think could have been designed better that you wish you could have another stab at? That's a great question. I think that for, I mean, I look at all of our products and I think that we, we could be designing them better. And, and I think what I have always loved and appreciated about this aspect of Facebook's culture is that we are like, you know, as a, as a, as a group. And, and, you know, again, I think this comes from um, the very top. It comes from Mark and, and how he views things. You know, there's, there is always room for improvement. And because it's software, you know, we can, we can make those changes, right? We don't have to wait for a year later for kind of the next hardware release. Like we could actually right. act on that information and we can iterate and we can try new things. And, you know, I think that that's really exhilarating. Um, but it also means that like, there's never anything that we have that is so good or so perfect that there's nothing can be done to it. Like for everything that uh, I see, for every experience on Facebook today, like I think that there are things that we can do to make it better, um, to make it more, more useful, more relevant to people. Um, yeah. Yeah. So to me, that means that, you know, if you're always only 1% there, then there's always more to do. There's always more to be excited about. 
is there something you're working on right now that, you know, really quickly, I know you can't divulge a ton of details, mm -hmm. but that you're particularly excited about? Yeah. Well, I actually do feel like I can divulge more details because Mark uh, wrote this letter and he did talk, um, you know, and it was, a, I think, a much deeper look at kind of our um, product plans and, and what we care about and what we want to work on in the upcoming, you know, next few years. And one of the things he talked about that I am personally really, really fired up about is going back to that idea of building tools for communities. And for us, you know, it's really investing in our groups feature. It's figuring out how to make it so that people can more easily create groups, that these groups can be much more powerful for helping people engage in dialogue that, you know, for people to actually find the groups that are meaningful in their lives. Right. You know, I think about um, each person, I think about even me personally, you know, I'm part of my condo's HOA group, like that's a group that I'm a part of. You know, I have a group of close friends who are also mothers and, you know, we share tips because uh, all of our, our kids are around the same age and we organize play dates. And that's a, you know, group that is really important to me that, that, that I'm a part of. I'm obviously part of my family group, both my nuclear family and a really, really large extended family that lives in Shanghai. I'm a part of the design community um, and, you know, the broader design community as well as uh, you know the designers that I work most closely with in in my job, but you know all of us are part of these uh, many many different communities, and there's you know coordination that happens, there's sharing that happens, there's support that happens within our real life groups, and so you know I think we can do so much more to make it so that these things are easier to do online, um, so that if they are in a zone where they become a new mother and maybe they don't happen to know anyone you know, in their near vicinity who is new mothers. How can, how can that new mom find a group of, of people maybe in her neighborhood or in her local community or even online with which she can get advice from, share tips with, arrange play dates with? Like, you know, these are yeah. the kinds of problems that I am really, really excited about. Yeah, this idea of being, helping to become a conduit through which people relate and through which people interact seems to be a pretty common theme in your career. I know that for years, about four years, you uh, you sort of collected all your thoughts in a blog called A Year of the Looking Glass. Mm -hmm. And very recently, you changed The Looking Glass mm -hmm. from just a blog-only format into an email newsletter. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting shift and reflects a little bit about how you think about communication, how you think about relating to your readers. Can you tell me a little bit about your thinking uh, in changing that format? Definitely. You know, I started my blog because a lot of it was for me personally. I wanted to kind of get more comfortable putting more of my opinions out there. Um, I wanted to sort of share a lot of the things that I was going through, that I was sort of thinking about, struggling through week over week, um, and in the process of writing, help clarify that for myself, but also, again, the idea that maybe somebody else is going through it and could find that useful. And I did that for, for many years. But and then I got to the point where I think uh, it, it was harder and harder for me to kind of have a sense of, of whether these things were useful. I'd sit down and I'd think about topics to write and, and I'd look at, you know, at a sheet of paper and I'd be like, well, I don't know, like what, what would be most helpful to, to right. somebody else? And, and you know, so, I'm sort of guessing like every you know week that, that I was publishing stuff. And that's a lot of the reasons why I decided to 
to kind of switch it up this year and to go with you know a mailing list, a digest, and and actually this Q and A format, you know, where um, I ask people what's something that you're going through, what's something that's you know a big question on your mind, and and um, send me that question, and I'll read through all the questions and and pick one every week that I can answer, and it allows me to really have a stronger dialogue with people who are reading it, and um, I've you know it's been really wonderful. I've gotten people who like a like a design student in India, you know, who was just about to finish her um her last class in design and she wanted to kind of know about like, well, how should I think about interviewing? How should I think about the job market? You know, I had people talk to me and 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 they're like, I'm struggling with doing the work that I want to do with balancing my passion and my passion is doing more UX design. Like how how right. should I think about that? And I think it's really allowed me to better understand these people and to feel a deeper connection with them and then therefore to really try and and craft the letters every week around something that is more for them, you know, and is is more uniquely tailored to the question that they have. I've learned a lot from it too, so it's been really awesome. Have you ever gotten a question that you felt like you couldn't answer or you felt like you couldn't do justice to? Uh, yeah, definitely. Even, <laughs> even last week, I finally did answer it, but this was one of the first things that people had asked me, and they asked me this like every week. Um, and the question was around how should I get started in my design career? You know, and and people asked it in many different ways. And some people were like, "Look, I'm a contractor, and I'm having a hard time landing a full time gig as as a designer. Like, what do I need to do?" And some people, you know, like the the student in India, you know, she wanted to know, like, what? How should I, you know, approach my first job? How can I become successful, basically, in in my path? And others were were like, "I'm an engineer, and I really want to do design. How can I, you know, make right. that my career?" Yeah. And every week, this is like a question, you know, in in many different variations that I get, and it was it it, it really intimidated me because I feel like, first of all, I could talk about this for, you know, like a week, you know, I could write a book about it. Um, and it, it sort of felt like a really vast topic, but I also didn't know how to give specific actionable advice that wasn't just so generic and high level that it couldn't really be helpful. And That's so- That's always the challenge, right? Yeah, right. And, and so, you know, every week I'd like think about it and I'd be like, I don't really know what to say. I don't really know how, how to really answer this. And then I'd be like, maybe next week. And so after about four weeks of that, I, you know, I finally had, had sort of had stewed around in my brain. Um, for long enough that I was like, okay, I think I'm just going to provide what I think is a very simple framework. Hopefully it is actionable and hopefully it strikes the right balance. So I I finally answered it last week. But the other thing I I try to do and challenge myself with this is to to pick questions that do make me feel a little bit uh, uncomfortable, you know, where I I read the question and I'm like, ooh, like that's a, that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, like that's a really interesting one. And and a lot of the questions that I've sort of chosen to answer are more around how you feel when you're feeling very vulnerable, when you're feeling lacking in confidence, um, when you're feeling like you're looking around and you're feeling like people are more successful than, than you, like how to deal with some of those feelings. Because I think, I feel like everybody goes through them. I think they're they're human and they're natural. And yeah. again, like sometimes when when you're in that zone, you do feel alone and you don't and you feel like it's hard to talk about because you know, it exposes you um, and exposes uh, and makes you vulnerable and and I try and actually pick questions like that where I feel like to really be helpful, I'm going to have to 
show that side and to, to admit these things. Um, and, and, and the email format and the fact that, you know, it's a mailing list, so people opt into it, make it easier for me to kind of do that and to kind of to have this medium that feels like a more of an intimate dialogue. Yeah, I mean, it'd be one thing if you were just a writer or just, you know, an advice columnist to, to simplify it all the way down to that. But but you have a dynamic life and you have a day job and you've got a persona that spans multiple different perspectives and, and kind of, you know, people engage with you in a lot of different ways. So are there any cons or drawbacks to, you know, you write that piece, it's very personal, it's very vulnerable, and then you go into work the next day. Do you ever feel like it's um, that those two things are, are opposed? I worried about that a lot more, I think, um, when I was earlier in my career. You know, I, I sort of had this impression that at work, you know, you want to come off one way, you want to show up one way, and then, you know, like in your personal life or at home, or, you know, maybe you're you're different, or, or maybe that's more appropriate, that's what, you know, you should do. Um, and I, I think I, you know, had that impression in my head of that's how it should be. But a lot of it is, you know, just like how I've sort of of seen the leaders that I admire the most show up. Sheryl Sandberg is someone who constantly, yeah. you know, regularly inspires me. And, and one of the things she always says is that, you know, you, you've, you got to bring your whole self to work and yeah. you got to be the person that you are at work that you are not at work. And I think she's done, uh, you know, like I've admired the way that she's done that for herself, the way whenever she gets up and talks in front of the company. And so I've sort of found, you know, over the years that it's become easier and easier for me to do that as well. And I think about the fact that I want to be as honest as I can. I want to show up the way that I am. I want my team to understand that. I want my colleagues to understand that. I want my friends and my family to, to see that same version. And I think, I, I actually think it's made it easier. You know, it's, it doesn't feel like you have to like play different roles in different situations. You know, it feels like you can be a little bit more of who you are and, and, and people like people respond to that, I think really well. What do you think is behind this shift where everybody's worlds are sort of blending together and people do bring their whole self to work and represent themselves as comprehensive people? I mean, that's a really interesting question. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I think we can speculate and we can, you know, talk about it. I mean, I think the fact that, you know, we have technologies, frankly, allowed us to blend the two a little bit more may have something to do with it. You know, yeah, I guess, I guess even a simpler way of me asking that is, did Facebook have something to do with that? Maybe, yeah, maybe. The fact that, you know, I'm, I'm friends with my colleagues mm-hmm. on Facebook and the posts that I write on, um, you know, Medium or on mm-hmm. or the pictures that I share on Instagram, they sort of blend into that network. Yeah, I, I think it is true that with, you know, technology, I mean, I think there are more aspects of ourself, right, in, in, in many different services and apps and things that we use. But it also changes the way that we interact, you know, with, with people. I mean, we have SMS and messaging services that make it so much easier to shoot off a, a something to a friend or a colleague. And, you know, these things, you know, a lot of times, like, spanned, you know, the different mediums and services. So, you know, in that way, like, it helps us be more efficient, but it also makes it perhaps like harder for us to sort of say, hey, there are these very clearly defined facets uh, you know, of my life and my relationship with different groups is totally different. But I don't know, I also feel like, I've always sort of seen it as like, 
this feels like a, maybe a, a freer way to live. I think a lot of the research that is out there around, you know, how authenticity and leadership is something that it's not like a negative thing, you know, in a lot of ways it, it's really yeah. positive or, um, you know, Brené Brown and the work that she's done to, to and talking about vulnerability and, and the power of, you know, like I think there's also just a greater dialogue and conversation about that stuff that I think uh, yeah. makes people realize it, it doesn't have to come from a place of fear or like worry about how other people, you know, see you in certain contexts. Absolutely. All right, Julia, I've got uh, one final question for you, because I do think that the Looking Glass series is, is really phenomenally w well done. How can people submit questions to you through that series? They would sign up for the mailing list. Uh, it's on my website. And there's this uh, email that I use. I think it's ask at juliezoo.com. And people you know, submit questions at that email address. I read through them all every week, and I pick something to answer. And if many people are asking the same things, I try and, and, and pick that. Got it. All right. Julie Zhu, VP of Product Design at Facebook, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks so much.